Hi, I'm Dave Lynch, the CEO of Clear, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. By 120 Water, New Rules Need New Tools. By 1898 & Co., Possibilities Powered by Experience. By Woodard & Curran, High-Quality Consulting Engineering, Science, and Operations Services. And by Intera, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. This is Session 251. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a fantastic show for you today. Joe Mawad, the General Manager of Eastern Municipal Water District, joins us for a great discussion on Eastern's water supply programs, including its Purified Groundwater Replacement Program. And I just love having utility executives like Joe on because they bring such a wealth of knowledge to the discussion. And believe me, Joe delivers that knowledge in this interview. Reese Tisdale is also here with a Bluefield on Tap segment, so let's dive in. As you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of every show, and we have some fantastic sponsors for 2024. Our 2024 sponsors include Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, 120 Water, 1898 & Co., Woodard & Curran, and Intera. And that is a terrific collection of impactful companies and organizations that have affirmatively decided to support water industry thought leadership and education, and I thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to please do me a favor, if you would. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor firm and let them know you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple little note of thanks will go a long way, believe me. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, hey, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Yes, the ever-important subscription. Well, before we head on to the interview with Joe, let's, we've got a Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale. So take it away, guys. Well, Reese, welcome to another Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing this month? Pretty good, Dave. Pretty good. Just uh, right when we got on the call, you asked me how I was doing. I was like, I'm not sure. I'm just doing. So <laughs> things are good. Good, good. Excellent. A uh, lot been going on in the water sector. What is new for Bluefield this month? Yeah, so hot off the press, uh, for those not in the know, we uh, just, you know, every year or every quarter we do it, but this is always a good time of year. We put out uh, our sort of uh, final analysis or year in review of water utility M&A in the U.S., which I know is sort of somewhat right up your alley. And uh, we got the results and we know who the movers and shakers are, are or who are not the movers and shakers. Yeah, well, let's hear it. Who uh, who are the movers and shakers? Is this kind of like uh, a classic Who song? Uh, yeah. <laughs> meet the new boss, same as the old boss, or we got some new players? 
I wish it was going to be that fun, but um, <laughs> it's uh, so we got uh, just sort of top line numbers. Why don't we start there? Um, this year, actually, the market has slowed down a bit, which quite honestly is not a surprise. There are 140 utility acquisitions, according to the dockets we review um, this past year, which is ba- basically continues a two year decline. So last year was 153 acquisitions, and the year before, in the midst of COVID, it uh, hit 217. So we continue the slide down back to really the mean, right? And I think the mean is closer to about 135 to 140. So probably about where we should be uh, as far as deal flows go. Is that a function of interest rates, you think? Or what, what's what, what's causing the slowdown? And let me preface this also by saying that I am uh, I'm aware that generally M&A was down in 23 uh, at least domestically in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, M&A, just across the board, M&A, you know, cost of capital is higher now. So, and, you know, there's also just general uncertainty. Is there going to be a recession? There's not going to be a recession. Um, there are, although there are certain states and regions where there is more public pushback, uh, the voices are getting a little bit louder, whether it be in northeastern states, but also places like active markets like Pennsylvania. We've seen a number of big deals held up. Um, I think also there is, you know, even while admittedly um, looking at the numbers, uh, you know, even the pending deals or backlog, so to speak, is lower than it usually is at this time of year. Um no, even on the regulatory level, there's been slowdown, and I, this, I'm not knocking regulators, but you know, people work from home. I know there's certain states where uh, even rate cases have been slow, slower than they have historically. So there's just, um, but I also think we're still in sort of that we're in the in the pandemic zone, so to speak, where we're kind of there's been a bit of a rubber band effect, effect where there was a big buildup, and now it's sort of gotten back to the mean. So. To put a finger on anything specifically, um, I can't do that. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's uh, interesting. Uh, you know, we're we're also kind of at the tail end of a lot of money coming to those systems, and so maybe a, some systems were just kind of holding out before they mm-hmm. they ran into the brick wall and were in fin- real financial trouble. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, even though there are declines, I would also say that there's still significant challenges ahead for potential sellers, right? I mean, we've got PFAS legislation with pretty low MCLs that we've talked about um, that are going to put pressure on systems, how to deal with that. It's going to require some capital outlays. We've got things like lead, and then we've got climate issues. And, you know, the same old story, aging infrastructure, you know, the longer you wait, the bigger the problem it's going to be. And from a lot of the small systems, just finding people to serve on the boards uh, is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. It seems uh, as yeah, I mean labor labor is is huge, but that's across the board as well. I mean, you could talk to engineering companies; they can't find enough people. If you talk to, you know, uh, you know, particularly when you get into more specialized um, services, things like digital or thing, you know, it. Uh, it's problematic, you know, because is you know labor rates have not gone down, even though there's been some volatility in sort of the workforce as a whole. Depending on the sector, labor rates are still pretty high. The other thing I want to to mention, you know, what's the outlook for twenty four? 
the Fed has signaled that there may be interest rates coming, but they're not interest, you know, imminent. Uh, does that kind of bode well for maybe M and A activity in the in the water utility sector picking up? I think so. I mean, I think cost, you know, particularly, you know, the one thing about the smaller systems, you know, it's not like they're, they're not going to the bond markets. They're not, you know, for, they're really operating on rates and things like that. Um, so I, I do think, you know, the question is, will there be more players coming into the market? You know, private equity is a big discussion. I mean, the most active, actually for the past couple, several years now is Central States Water. They're, they're backed by Science Capital. You've got Undine, who has also been somewhat active recently. Uh, they're private equity backed as well. Um, while they have funds, they've raised that capital already to, to expand their portfolios. There may be potential for new players coming in. And I think, you know, just speaking to financial players in the industry over the last, you know, let's say, six to 12 months. I think there has been a wait for wait. Let's wait till inflation stabilizes. Let's wait till, you know, cost of, you know, interest rates stabilize. If not. And so it looks like we may be hitting that plateau ready to maybe when it comes to interest rates come down, the Fed has alluded to that already in, in different ways. Yeah. And I think you mentioned and made an interesting point that a lot of the systems that are being acquired are not, they're, they're not in debt. Uh, or at least they're, they're they're not going to the bond market for the acquisition, but on the flip side, a lot of the systems that are being acquired need significant upgrades, and so the acquirer will have to go to the market, right? Uh, yeah. To, to fund the necessary improvements, not just the necessary improvements uh, to to bring the systems up to snuff, but as you mentioned, PFAS, lead and copper rule, all these challenges, financial challenges that every utility is dealing with. Yeah, and I think, you know, everybody, even cities and towns, they probably think their system is worth more than it is, you know, uh, when it comes to value. Um, they're they're critically valuable, quite honestly. Uh, we all know that. But I think a lot of buyers, when they come in, they realize, uh, you know, that systems are not as in great a shape as, as, they always, as they always think. That being said, maybe a segue is, you know, also, you know, while the deal flow has gone down, so has cost per connection. You know, cost per connection we've seen is about a little over $2,600 for, you know, non-fair market value uh, deals. And fair market value is definitely higher at about $4,500 a connection. And that's for the water utilities, not wastewater utilities. Exactly. Is that that a blended? That's actually a both. It's a blend of both, just sort of across the board. All right. Good deal. Well, Reese, it is always great speaking with you. Thank you very much for the uh, information and filling us in on water utility M&A activity. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, I love it. That's a good time, and uh, we'll talk next month. All right. See you, Reese. Cheers. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time for the main event, our interview with Joe Mawad. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Joe, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So great to have you on. Uh, It's fantastic for you to be here. How are you today? Wonderful, Dave, and and Happy New Year to you and to your (laughs) listeners Thank you for the opportunity to uh, to join you today. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak with you, Joe. Uh, uh, b- before we get into the meat of today's uh, interview, can you give us a little background on who you are and what you're doing in the water sector? Sure. So I, I've been in the water industry for over 30 years, uh, straight out of college from my undergraduate program. I, I went to, I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Cal Poly Pomona, in Southern California. Uh, I, I focused on engineering and, and water 
and straight out of college, I joined a private consulting firm um, and uh, was with that firm for a number of years. And in 2003, decided to uh, come over to the uh, public government side of things. So um, I've been at Eastern Municipal Water District for uh, over uh, 17 years now. I joined in 2006. I came on board as the Director of Engineering Managing uh, Capital Improvement Program, designing and constructing infrastructure facilities. And uh, uh, over the years, been privileged to take on additional responsibilities. And uh, about three years ago, I was fortunate to be selected as the general manager of Eastern. Um, Eastern is um, a fairly large organization. We have over 600 employees. And we are the sixth largest public water retailer in the state of California. We serve a population of around a million residents in western Riverside County. Um, and we, we provide not only water services, we also provide uh, wastewater services, including treatment, as well as recycled water services. Great. So when you say western Riverside County, that, that tells me you are uh, inland, you're not, you're not on the coast, so, so you don't have any desal plants or anything like that? That, that's correct. We we are about seventy miles from the Pacific Ocean. We we are inland, um, but we do have desal uh, okay. facilities. Believe it or not, now it's not ocean desal. We have brackish groundwater desalinization facilities. So part of our groundwater basin is historically salty, um, brackish, and it's not suitable for drinking water purposes. So uh, about uh, twenty years ago, we embark on a program to implement a uh, groundwater brackish desalinization program. And it's it's been a really incredible journey for us. And uh, last year, we commissioned our third desalter uh, facility, the parachute facility, and that brought online an additional 5.4 million gallons per day of, of drinking water or production, I should say. And in total, we produce um, over 14 million gallons per day from our desalinization facilities. That's enough water for about 30,000 households in our region. So it, it's a big part of what we do, uh, along with recycled water and obviously um, uh, other uh, water supply sources. Yeah, that's fantastic, Joe. Uh, that, great to hear that you're use, utilizing those resources. Uh, let's, let's talk a little, let's keep the, let's keep the focus on groundwater and uh, your purified water replenishment program to, to help, you uh, maintain sustainable groundwater supplies. Can you talk a little bit about what what your sustainable or your uh, your purified water replenishment program is and what it does? Sure. Um, so groundwater resources is critical for us uh, to provide us with local reliability and resiliency. Um, we import about half of our water into our region, and that imported water comes to us from the Colorado River. Uh, as well as uh, up north, the uh, state delta, uh, a state water project brings that water to us down here. But the other half of the water is locally resourced, and a significant portion of that is groundwater. In fact, about 18% of our demands are met via our groundwater resources. So it's important for us to continue to invest in our groundwater resources and, and continue to expand those resources. Um, we have um, our overarching groundwater reliability plus program that that includes various initiatives 
Uh, one of them is what you're referring to, our purified water replenishment. Now, I, I, I should maybe give a little bit more context before we dive into the details of that program. So we currently utilize 100% of our recycled water, um, meaning about 50 million gallons per day that comes to us in terms of wastewater collection, we treat to a tertiary level or basically three levels of treatment. And all of that water, all that recycled water is then put to beneficial use, including uh, agriculture is still big in our region. Uh, about 60 to 65% of our recycled water is purchased by ag. The other uh, remaining amount of recycled water is used for parks, schools, golf courses, cemeteries, uh, common areas, green belts. So it, recycled water has truly become a, a big part of our water supply portfolio because in the absence of using that recycled water, we would have to rely more so on imported supplies from the Colorado River and the state water project. Um, now, we are a rapidly growing region. We're only about 40% built out in Western Riverside. So that, that growth has continued um, every month we add about 300 to 400 new connections. Um, so in, in total, we're about four to 5,000 new households a year that, that we're adding to our system. With that growth comes additional availability recycled water. So we want to find a home for that additional recycled water or basically beneficial use of that recycled water. That's where our purified water replenishment program comes in. The, the program essentially entails us taking a portion of our recycled water that's already received three levels of treatment and purifying that stream of water. We purify it through microfiltration and reverse osmosis and advanced oxidation. Now that purified water is then blended with tertiary treated recycled water as well as imported uh, potable water. And then we replenish our groundwater basin with that blend. Um, and that water that is then replenished goes through the soil and, and going through that soil provides us with additional filtration. The, the soil is a natural filter. So by the time that water uh, reaches the, the groundwater table in the aquifer, uh, it is purified, it is filtered, it's disinfected, and it's uh, essentially suitable for extraction, uh, additional chlorination and treatment. And that's exactly what our plan is. The water will reside in the aquifer for about six months or more, and then we will then pump it out through wells, uh, disinfect the water, and then provide it as part of our drinking water. So by by being able to take a stream of that recycled water, purify it, and then replenish our groundwater basin, it's, it's a major investment in making sure that our groundwater resources are sustainable, knowing that, that we're going to be in future droughts. We, we're, we're seeing uh, the impacts of climate change firsthand out here on the, on the western uh region of the U.S. It's, you know, we go through very severe uh, multiple years of, of drought conditions, and then we get very, um, what I would call extreme winter conditions, where we're seeing high intensity precipitation, uh, records setting snowpack. In fact, Dave, we, we, we saw that last year. Um, we went from a multi-year drought condition to a whiplash into a record setting snowpack. So knowing that we're going to have to deal with these extremes, investing local resources uh, has become really critical for us. And purified water replenishment is is a big part of that. Yeah, it sounds like a great program, Joe. Uh, couple questions. First, first, in terms of letting the water infiltrate the blended water. So I, I'm curious as to why, what's the purpose of the blending? And number two, 
when you let it allow it to infiltrate through the soil, are you just, are you for lack of a better term, like, are you just kind of flood irrigating like a, a, a that's a, it's a great question, Dave. So let me take the latter part of your, your, your question first. Uh, several years ago, we acquired a 40 acre site that overlies the groundwater basin and we constructed what we call the Mountain Avenue replenishment ponds. Essentially, these are a series of, of pond cells that extend over the entire 40 acres of the property that we purchased. And, and it's basically dirt ponds that allow for rapid percolation down to the groundwater aquifer. And, and the, the reason that we chose that site is because of the high percolation rate. Historically, that used to be where the, uh, the river was. Um, so it's it's an ideal site to percolate uh, and replenish our groundwater basin. And um, we were successful in completing that project with state funding as well. So that that is um, how we actually replenish, physically replenish the uh, uh, the groundwater aquifer. And I, I will tell you that we have uh, monitoring wells that will be constructed around the uh, replenishment ponds to make sure that as the replenishment is being conducted, uh, we don't have any unusual uh, rise in the, the groundwater table. So we monitor the the levels. We monitor the quality of the water uh, that is below us. So there's there's a significant amount of measures that are, be, are being taken to make sure that replenishment uh, effort is successful. To your first question, as far as the plan, it is a regulatory requirement by the state of California. So when we... Uh, provide that purified water. We also provide um, the uh, the blend with not only tertiary but uh, potable water. But it, it is untreated potable water. It has not gone through the the filtration and disinfection process. Got it. it. It sounds like a great program, and it's obviously you've put a lot of thought into it. And uh, I'm I'm curious. This sounds like something that that might have garnered support from the feds. How? Are are there was there federal support for this or additional state support other than what you've identified already? Yes, we're we're fortunate in that we've had the uh, Department of Interior, uh, U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, has been a partner with Eastern for for many years. In fact, for decades, our, our recycled water program today, as it exists, it would not be possible without the partnership from the Bureau of Reclamation. It's allowed us to make significant investment to essentially build the system that the pipelines, the uh, reservoirs, the pump stations, the, the entire system. Um, we, we've invested over $200 million over the last two decades, and, and the Bureau has been partners with Eastern every step of the way. But more recently, specifically for our purified water replenishment program, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation provided us um, initially – $17.5 million of grant funding through the Water Infrastructure Improvements for the Nations Act. Uh, that was followed the, the year after with an additional $10 million in funding through the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. Uh, in fact, uh, in 2023, we had the uh, Secretary of the Interior, uh, Secretary Deb Holland, came out and visited EMWD, and we were able to tour the project site, and we were able to share with her the benefits to the local community that this project is going to have. So it, it was uh, just an incredible honor for us to host Secretary Holland. And uh, uh, again, it, it just underscores the longstanding partnership between 
the Department of Interior, the Bureau of Reclamation, and EMWD. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Joe, how about this? So, as the water goes into the ponds, um, is there, you know, do you, do you know how much you lose to evaporation, or does it infiltrate pretty quickly, or what is your what's your thought on that? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, we did percolation test um, on the site before we purchased that that forty acres for the percolation, and the uh, th- there's there's a range to the percolation, but on average it's about four feet a day. So that's a very quick percolation. Now um, there will be some very what I would say limited uh, minor evaporation losses, but overall, given the high percolation uh, rate. Um, the overwhelming majority of that water is going to percolate through through the aquifer or through the ground to the aquifer. And as I mentioned earlier, through that percolation process, there's a natural uh, uh, filtration, both physical uh, filtration as well as biological filtration process that will take place in addition to the uh, uh, reverse osmosis and microfiltration that, that we, we will provide to the water before we uh, convey it over to the replenishment basin. Yeah. Well, you started to answer my, my next question already in terms of uh, water quality. I was going to ask how, how this Im- helps improve water quality. Can you expand on the, the, the importance of that filtration? Uh, the, can you expand on the importance of the filtration, you know, uh, things that you just identified? Sure. So, that part of the basin that we're going to replenish has limitations as far as what's called uh, total dissolved solids or, or TDS. Uh, so there are very, uh, very much a uh, set of requirements that we have to meet as established by uh, the Regional Water Quality Control Board, which is a regulatory agency that oversees this type of activity. So knowing that there are uh, limitations on the TDS that we can introduce into the basin, the blend water that is used to complement the purified water um, has to come from the state water project, not the Colorado River. Um, Colorado River water supply, the raw water, it has typically higher salinity or TDS than state water project. So because of the requirements, the regulatory requirements, uh, for the basin, we are only able to utilize state water project as the blend water source for uh, this program. Now, the water produced from our uh, purified water replenishment has extremely low TDS. Essentially, that water, when it goes through reverse osmosis, removes all of the total dissolved solids and other constituents. So it's it's highly purified. And then we blend it with the state water project and we're able to essentially have a blend that is less than the 500 milligram per liter of uh, total dissolved solids that, that the basin has as far as the upper limitation. We go through this multi-stage process of microfiltration reverse osmosis on the purified water. And then, as I mentioned, once we introduce it into our replenishment pond, as the water percolates through the ground, through the soil, there's additional physical and biological filtration that takes place naturally. So by the time that water uh, makes it down to the groundwater table, it's been filtered and treated multiple times. And then of course it blends with the natural groundwater that is there. And we've done modeling as well as tracer testing 
to show that that water will reside in the basin for at least six months. Before then, it is subsequently extracted through wells that we are currently constructing. So those wells will then extract what is was originally our purified water that's now been blended with a natural aquifer. That water will, get, will be extracted, it'll be disinfected, and then it'll be introduced into our potable water system. Sounds complicated. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, no, but but you explained it so simply. It, 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 you did a you did a great job. So, I am curious in terms of you know recharging the aquifer. Is there any worry that that water will will travel to you know outside of your area? No, that's that's a great question. Actually, this groundwater aquifer actually provides water to not only Eastern but to a number of other stakeholders that have water rights to pump from this basin, um, including a Indian tribe. The Saboba Indian tribe um, has what, what I can say would be senior water rights or tribal water rights over this basin. Um, and through a series of agreements, Eastern as well as the other public agencies, uh, there's two cities, cities of Hemet and San Jacinto, and there's another water district, um, a uh, a retailer, a sub-agency of Eastern Lake Hemet Municipal Water District. So all of us, along with Suboba Tribe, along with uh, private pumpers, and there's still a number of agricultural operations within the valley that have their own wells. So all of us have to work together to make sure that we are using this groundwater basin in a sustainable fashion. So there is what's called a water master that oversees the uh, uh, the practices that are implemented by by all of us make sure that we're all using the, the basin in a sustainable fashion. And we we at, at Eastern are part of the water master, along with the other public agencies and a, re- a representative from the private pumpers or the agricultural community. Um, but this program, this purified water program, is actually going to improve not only the quality of the water but the availability of the water. When we when we are able to replenish this basin, it is going to increase the groundwater table. And having a higher groundwater table is a benefit to all the users and all the pumpers of the basin. Because as, as we all know, um, to pump water from the ground, a big part of that is the cost of energy. And if there's a higher groundwater table, then the energy costs are less. Um, so that that's uh, a benefit for, for everyone that overlies the basin not just EMWD. I will also share with you that currently, aside from the Purified Water Replenishment Program, we have an arrangement with Suboba Tribe, as well as the other uh, uh, public agencies that I mentioned, whereby we bring in, on an average annual basis, 7,500 acre-feet of water. We import this water, and we replenish the basin. We, We did that through an agreement back in 2012, and, and that agreement was the genesis for establishing the water master. So there is currently ongoing replenishment that takes place for the basin. The purified water replenishment program is gonna complement the current replenishment activities that we're currently doing. So it, it really overlies the current program and enhances our ability to continue to replenish that, that vital groundwater resource, for, frankly, for all of us here. Yeah, that sounds like a great cooperative arrangement you've got you've got going on. 
you know, I, so I was in Southern California about uh, a couple of weeks ago and during my stay, I, re- I read the, the papers, right. And every day it's felt like there was a front page article about groundwater. And one of the, one of the articles I remember reading was an LA times article about subsidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, has subsidence been an issue for Eastern or in, in the Eastern area? And I assume that, that this, this program would mitigate the impacts of subsidence. Exactly. So I I think we're we're fortunate in that we have not had subsidence within our service area and and within this uh, basin area that that I'm describing. I I think that's due, frankly, again, to the cooperative and collective efforts of of not just Eastern, but the the other agencies that I mentioned. Um, I I think it's it's been uh, important for all of us to work together to make sure that what we pump from the basin is sustainable that we don't overdraft the basin and we don't have declining levels in the basin it's you're right you're absolutely right um various basins in the state are in what's called overdraft conditions meaning that they're being pumped out at a at a higher volume than what naturally they're they're being able to replenish so when you have those kind of conditions when you have declining groundwater tables within basins year after year it, it does uh, pose the risk, as you're saying, of, of subsidence, and it has occurred in various parts of the state. Now, the, the challenge, I think, for all of us, not, not necessarily in our service area, but just as a state, as uh, as the Western U.S., is when we're looking at these severe drought conditions that, that we're experiencing, and then these incredibly wet years, um, during the drought years, many regions of the state rely on groundwater resources. We all lean heavy into groundwater resources, knowing that we, we may not have adequate or sufficient snowpack uh, or surface water availability. So the groundwater resource has acted as essentially our savings, our, our bank savings. It, it's where we go to when we don't have other sources supply. I think it just, it really makes us take a step back and think of what do we need to do collectively, all of us across the state? to make sure we have sustainable water supply well into the future, knowing that the impacts of climate change are real and that we're gonna have to adapt to those climate change impacts. And and by adapting, what I mean is that not only do we have to be very efficient in how we use water, not only do we have to implement conservation measures and and make sure, for example, that we're not putting in non-functional turf, Um, we put in drought tolerant landscaping, we put in uh, drip irrigation systems. We use high efficiency fixtures inside our homes. And frankly, at Eastern, we, we've done all that. We, we've done everything that, that I'm describing, but I would like to see that then across the entire state. I would like to see more removal of non-functional turf. And what I mean by non-functional turf, it's basically just decorative grass. It has no other function. It's just, you know, it's not a park. It's not a, a, a sports field. It's strictly, you know, if you drive by, let's say a shopping center and you see that strip of grass, grass in front of it. The only time it gets used is when someone is mowing it. Uh, to us, that's not the best use of our precious natural resources in terms of water. So we'd like to see removal of non-functional turf. Uh, and we'd like to see more drought-tolerant landscaping and, and high efficiency. But we do all that, but we still need additional supplies. And the way we adapt our water supply system is by investing investing in additional stormwater capture. When when we do have those significant wet years, 
we need to be able to capture that water, convey it and store it so that later we can use it during the, uh, the drought years. And our, our statewide system here in California needs that type of investment. We, we have a number of large scale reservoirs, uh, but the last major one was built decades ago. We need to invest more in statewide uh, storage, statewide conveyance, and frankly, embark on all the other programs statewide that, that I mentioned that Eastern has been a leader on. That's that's a great message, Joe. Um, and I, I'm sorry for laughing, but your your line about um, the only time the grass gets used is when someone's mowing it is, I just found that funny. Um, <laughs> again, again, great thoughts. And I'm kind of curious. You've been you've been fantastic today, by the way. I'm kind of curious if you have a leave behind message before we uh, before we say goodbye. Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Dave. This is this has been a, a great conversation to have. And um, what, what I would say is if you're interested in the information that I shared today, you can always go to our website, emwd.org. There's a lot more information about the programs and the initiatives that we uh, have undertaken and that we continue to expand on. Um, I, I would just, again, uh, remind the listeners, you know, water is truly a precious resource. And we have the same amount of water on Earth as, as we've always had. It, it hasn't increased. It hasn't decreased. It's, it's as we all know, the water cycle. It's the same water that we all are, are fortunate to be able to capture and utilize, not, not only for, for drinking purposes, but for ag, for environmental, for all sorts of beneficial uses that, that you know, life needs water. So I, I would just urge everyone to... Uh, to use water efficiently, obviously, but also to to be willing to support investment in our water system. We we absolutely need to adapt to what we're seeing in terms of climate change. So, um, I I just really appreciate the time we spent today, Dave, and appreciate you taking the time to to hear out uh, what we're doing over at Eastern Municipal Water District. Great. Well, thanks, Joe. You again, fantastic job. And you mentioned your website earlier, but for those who are interested in finding out more about you and Eastern, are there any other places they can go to get information? Well, they can um, reach out to our public affairs staff and um, the the contact information is on our website. So please don't hesitate. Our public affairs staff uh, can share with you additional details and information on any of the programs that, that I mentioned. Great. Well, again, Joe, thanks so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it and uh, have a great 2024. Good talking with you. Thank you, Dave. Right. You too. Just a great interview that Joe gave. Don't you agree? I mean, Joe did a great job explaining the issues in layman's terms so that even someone like me could follow along and understand Eastern's program. Awesome job, Joe, and thank you so much for your great work over at Eastern. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web. Uh, it's at Bluefield Research's site. And as you know, if you're a longtime listener, Bluefield Research and the Water Values LLC are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and that's why we get a home on the web at Bluefield Research's site. Uh, you can also email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that aforementioned landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our fantastic sponsors, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, 120 Water, 1898 & Co., 
Woodard and Curran, and Intera. This show wouldn't be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.